Well, good morning, Axis Church. How's everybody doing today? Good to see you guys. I uh, just got back from vacation at uh, Myrtle Beach, and uh, Lisa and I several months ago had rented a condo that slept 12 people, and we thought, hey, maybe our kids could bring friends or what have you, but as we went along, uh, it seemed like the kids were like, hey, let's just do our own family. Well, then uh, Jonathan had to go into the hospital and have surgery. They had a big trip out west planned, and they weren't going to be able to take that. So we said, hey, why don't your kids and our kids go together and Amelia and Rebecca's friend Maddie. So we had 12 people in our condo, and uh, we had all those kids with us, three vehicles, you know, and uh, it was crazy uh, going down. But it was good because all the kids are all of an age now where it's kind of like, hey, go in pairs, go in pairs and uh, just go hang out with each other and uh, have a good time. So we had a great week, and uh, it's good good to be back uh, with you guys this week. Uh, we are in our last uh, week of our series called Weapons of Our Warfare, and we have been all, really, for the last uh, seven or eight weeks just talking about the armor of God and what does it mean to be people who are ready for spiritual battles. And so many people have said, you know, it's great at this time because we feel like there are spiritual battles that we're facing all over and there's so much chaos around and these kind of things. And it's so good to just get back to the Word and say, God, how are you preparing us? And remember that Paul was writing the, these things in Ephesians 6 to a group of people in a city uh, called Ephesus. And these were believers in that city. But remember that Paul had spent about three years of located ministry in Ephesus. He was in Ephesus longer than any other place on his missionary journey. So he knew it very well. Ephesus was one of the greatest cities in the Roman Empire. Its population was about 250,000 people. In fact, they even had a theater there that sat about 24,000 people. They had everything for education and commerce, sports, and medicine. It was a growing city in, uh, in the world's largest empire. And they prided themselves on progressive thinking and being open-minded. But that led them also on a pathway that was away from God. It was, uh, they had multiple gods. Uh, they celebrated those gods. They had symbols for those gods. Uh, in fact, those symbols lined the streets of Ephesus. They were uh, a, a group of people that were really uh, lost in terms of their values. And so in the middle of that, Paul was involved in the church in Ephesus. And he's encouraging these believers because they are facing all kinds of pressure. New believers in Jesus having pressure on all sides, pressure from uh, the government, pressure from other people. In fact, the, pr the pressure was so intense that they were being abused and persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And Paul was as well. So here Paul is in a, in, in a, a Roman prison in Ephesus, and he's there thinking, how do I prepare God's people for the kind of battles that we're facing now? How, as I, as an individual that's helping to lead them, how do I equip them? And then he sees that Roman soldier and he thinks that individual, that man, he's ready for battle. And let's make a comparison between his armor and the armor of God. And that's what we find in Ephesians 6. So I'm just going to read this entire section because we're at the end of the series. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, 
you may be able to stand your ground. And after having done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of the salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And so we've walked through these elements, each one of these, uh, these pieces of armor. And as a reminder, I'm just going to put them up on the screen again, and you can take a photo of, of that as we walk through these for just a minute. We talked about the belt of truth that provides stability. Without that belt, everything else is in trouble. And in our culture where truth is relative, and it seems like everybody just has their own thought, and we don't really know what truth is, we need the truth of God to be our stability. And then we talked about the breastplate of righteousness, which preserves vitality. It protects all those vital organs, all the things that are the most important. And, and that righteousness is not something you have to create. It's a righteousness that comes from Christ. And in him, there is no condemnation for those who are in him. And then there are shoes that are, that are ready to promote the gospel and promote mobility as we present the gospel of peace to people. And in a world of chaos, we need the peace that passes understanding. And then we have the shield of faith that protects against hostility, against those flaming arrows of the evil one. We have faith that in no matter what we face, we're going to make it through it on, because of Christ. And then it says the helmet of salvation protects the right mentality because the battle for you is really a battle for your mind. It begins in your mind as your temptations, your thoughts, what you think about drives the day. And he says, put on that helmet of salvation. Remember that you are saved. And then he says, use the sword of the Spirit because it, with it you possess authority. And today that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about all of these uh, things again as we review them, but we're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit. Now, the sword is the soldier's offensive weapon. If you look at back at all the other pieces of armor, they're all defensive. You have a helmet to defend your head, a breastplate to guard your vital organs, a belt that holds it all together, shoes to provide the foundation. You have the shield that protects you. But friends, you and I need those defensive weapons. Why? Because in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says we have an enemy. And it says that enemy does what? He seeks to steal and kill and destroy. That is what he is bent on. We have an enemy. We need to know our foe. But we shouldn't walk around as people who are defeated. We are victorious people in Christ. We know that Christ is victorious through his resurrection. We know that the church is victorious. But we do need to be prepared for our foe. Because why? Because he lies to us. He lies to us about who we are. He says, you're not able, you're not worthy, and yet we need to believe the truth of God that says you're more than a conqueror through God. We need to believe God that says, I love you. The devil is the father of lies. He undermines truth. That's why you need the belt of truth. The enemy condemns you. He reminds you of all your past failures. He tries to strike your heart with deadly force. That's why you need the breastplate of righteousness. You're no longer a slave to sin. You have the righteousness from Christ. You are a child of the king. 
The enemy wants to disrupt your peace and the peace of those that you love. Anybody feel like that's true today in our world? I mean, there is chaos all around us. And he says, I don't want you to have peace with God. I don't want you to have peace with yourself or peace with others. And yet, Paul says you need to have shoes that are ready with peace that the gospel offers. Through Christ, you can have peace. The enemy wants to throw arrows at you. He wants to attack you. He wants to throw temptations and trials at you. That's why you need the shield of faith so that you're prepared for those attacks. No matter what happens in this life, you can have faith that God has got you. And he tries to discourage you by putting doubts in your mind. And we need to know that we are saved. Put on the helmet of salvation. The attack of the enemy is often a battle in our mind. So we need to be ready to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We need to put on the defensive armor, but we also need an offensive weapon. And Paul and his readers knew very well the Roman soldier. And you knew that as you looked at that Roman soldier, you can go and put him up, you know all of his weapons are there. You know that he's prepared for battle, but he needs that sword. And the sword that he uses is not a broad sword. Uh, you guys ever watch Pawn Stars? It's one of my favorite uh, YouTube shows to watch where they sometimes bring in those samurai swords or those two-handed broad swords, and they'll try to get a high price for it. Sometimes they'll have swords that are more like this. They're, they're, more, uh, they're shorter. They might be 12 to 18 inches. And this indicates the kind of sword that when an enemy attacks you, when the devil is against you, when he is in your face, you are able to ward off the attacks of the enemy and you are able to be offensive against him. And I tried to think, how do I illustrate this in a way that is modern day kind of hand-to-hand combat? And my mind went to a movie. So for the next three minutes, you're going to watch a movie. You can just sit back. It's Summer Movie Clips with Steve. And we're just going to watch this movie, all right, for three minutes. And it's also very culturally relevant because it includes the infamous and often insufferable Johnny Depp. Check out our video clip. You're the one they're hunting. The pirates. You seem somewhat familiar. Have I threatened you before? I make a point of avoiding familiarity with pirates. Ah. Well, then it would be a shame to put a black mark on your record. So if you'll excuse me. Think this wise boy. Crossing blades with a pirate. You threaten Miss Swan. Only a little. You know what you're doing, I'll give you that. Excellent form. But how's your footwork? If I step here, very good. And now I step again. 
I wonder, Craig. Except once again, you are between me and my way out. And now, you have no weapon. three hours a day is that you already found one and are otherwise incapable of wooing said strumpers I practice three hours a day so that when I meet a pirate I can kill it I like that because there's so much in that that you know obviously my my uh, devil image here is Johnny Depp uh, don't read into that but anyway so uh, they're fighting one another and Will says I make it a point tonight to avoid pirates and then uh, Johnny later says, uh, where do you have all these weapons? And you can't fight without a weapon. And then suddenly Will has this weapon and he says, I practice with it three hours a day. Notice that when he is attacked, he has a weapon that comes against him and he fights uh, with his own weapon. He stands against him, says, I practice so that when I face a pirate, I can kill him. And I like that because the Apostle Paul says that when you are fighting an enemy, when you are facing an enemy, you have to have a sword. You have to be ready to attack, to avoid the enemy, but then when the enemy comes against you, to be ready. And in order to attack him, you have to know the Word of God. You have to practice with the sword of the Spirit. And the Bible says the Word of God is our offensive weapon against the schemes of the enemy. And the best way to see this illustrated is in Jesus himself, when after he had fasted and prayed for 40 days in the wilderness, the devil approached him and came to him and, and, and tempted him three different times. And the first thing he said was, you need to turn these stones into bread because I know you're hungry. And Jesus just said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. In other words, he uses the word of God as the sword of the spirit to re-counterattack the enemy. But then the devil masterfully says, well, if you can quote the Bible, I can quote the Bible. He knows the word as well. He just doesn't use it. In fact, he misuses it and he misstates Psalm 91 when he says to Jesus, jump off this temple and the angels will save you. And Jesus said, you're absolutely wrong. You've misquoted it. And let me say something else to you. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And a third time, the devil comes back and he takes him to the highest mountain and says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. In other words, you don't have to die for people. I'll just give you all the people. And Jesus once again says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you worship. So the way that, the, that Jesus fought the enemy off was to have the offensive weapon of the word of God. That's how Jesus dealt with temptation. And that's how we deal with the enemy. And so if we're going to use this weapon, we have to understand the weapon. And so what I want to do today is just give you three big ideas about the Bible, the sword of the Spirit. And the first one is that the Bible is inspired by God. Friends, God, this is His Word. 
He gave the word to us. He wants us to know him, and he wants us to know how to stand firm in the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that all scripture is God-breathed. And while the writers of the text use their own style and their own rhetoric and their own memory, God guided them to the truth and he guided the events as well so that we would know the story of God and his redemption of mankind. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 21 said, prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You have to understand that when you hold the Bible and when you read it, you have the most unique book in all of human history. It's not just one book, it's 66 books. It's a library written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. It began to be written about 1,400 B.C., and the last book was written about 100 A.D. And those authors were from every walk of life, kings and peasants, philosophers and fishermen, poets and statesmen, scholars. Portions of the Bible were written in the wilderness, other portions in the dungeon, in a palace or in exile, in wartime and peace. The Bible was written on three continents, in three languages, on hundreds of controversial subjects. It contains different styles of writing like poetry, history, biography, letters, and prophetic writing. And yet it is written with this astonishing diverse uh, diversity, and yet it brings all of these things together in one beautiful unity, which is the story of God and his love for mankind. John chapter 3, verse 35, Jesus said, the scripture cannot be broken. And that is true. It is amazing in its unity. It reads like a novel from page one till the end. Many of the authors didn't even know each other. Many of them came from completely different time periods, and yet they wrote about the events of God, how he interfaced with humanity, and how God was writing the story of his redemption. How did that happen? And I would submit to you all today that cannot happen by just one man writing one book. That's easy to write a story, but by all these offers over all this different time, how did someone oversee this? It had to be overseen by something that was divine, something that had a greater purpose. Let's compare it to the work of Muhammad in the Quran or Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon. In both those cases, those words were discovered or penned by one man. In a, in a book called All About the Bible, Cindy Collette calls Professor M. Monsiero Williams, uh, quotes him and says, uh, pile them, if you will, on the left side of your study table, all the Eastern books, and place your Holy Bible on the right side, all by itself, all alone with a wide gap between them, for there is a gulf between it and the so-called sacred books of the East, which severs it one from the other, utterly, hopelessly, and forever. A veritable gulf, which cannot be bridged. The Bible is, has no comparison to any book ever written, whether it be a religious or sacred text or not. Can a human mind be behind the plan of the Bible writing? No. The great span of time rules that out. No human could have supervised a 1,500-year project to make sure that the story was consistent. How do you explain it? The only satisfactory answer is that both the plan and the book are of divine origin. Only the all-knowing, all-God, all-powerful God who transcends history, to whom a thousand years is but a day, could have written this drama on the pages of history and then caused such a varied collections of writings to tell one story. 
And that is the, the reason, one of the reasons that we believe that the Bible is God's word. It is his word given to us so that we would understand how God was going to redeem mankind. And if God, the divine author of the Bible, gave us his words so that we can stand firm in the faith, so that we can stand up against the devil, then why don't we spend more time reading the very words of God? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God doesn't want you just to have mental knowledge about the Bible, study knowledge about the Bible. He wants you to be equipped. The Bible isn't just for you to have information. It's so that you can be equipped with it to use it as an offensive weapon. And as a believer in Jesus, a disciple of Christ, a son and daughter of the King, and the, you need to be ready to fight off the, we, the enemy by simply using that offensive weapon, knowing the word of God and using it in the right time, the right place. And I can tell you what's not going to happen when the devil comes against you and you say, oh no, I don't know what to do. I'm going to have to like, and you're trying to like flip. I, where is that? Now I need a concordance. Like what is happening here? You need to be able to have enough scripture memorized so that when the devil tempts you, you can say, no temptation has overtaken me. But such is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I can bear. Or when you face anxiety. Remember the words of Paul. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, pre present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you feel like maybe God's given up on you, or maybe you don't know, maybe God doesn't have a purpose for you. Remember that, that verse in Jeremiah 29, 11. God has plans for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Or you remember the verse that Paul says where he says that, that, that he has a good work, that that work is going to be finished in you, that he's going to carry on that good work to completion. Or when you're weak, you remember the Bible says that when you're weak, he's strong. Or, or when you're dealing with maybe, maybe I just don't feel like I've got another ounce of strength in me. You can remember where Paul said that through Christ, I can do all things who gives me strength. Whatever it is that you face in this life, you have to know enough of the scripture so that it is in you, so that you can give it in those moments when you need it the most. God wants you to be thoroughly equipped so that you can fend off and then fight against the schemes of the enemy. The Bible is inspired by God. Number two, it is the authority for our life. God has given us the word of God, and if it comes from God, then it is authority in our lives. It means that when we open the Bible, we're not just reading a human book. His word is powerful, and it is authoritative. It, just like our, one of our statements of faith at Access Church says, the scriptures serve as our final authority of faith and practice. All matters of faith and practice. That's why when we present the Word of God, me or Josh or Andrew or anybody who's teaching, what we want to do is just present the Word of God to you and just say, that's why we use so much Scripture. You guys know that because it doesn't matter what my opinion is. The Bible says that Josh, me, Andrew, others, we're all cracked vessels. We're imperfect. We, we have holes in us. And yet we're just here to try to pour out the scripture onto people so that they understand and so that we understand what is it that God wants for our life? What does the word of God say in this situation? And the Bible has authority for us. It means we yield to the scripture. We don't want the scripture to yield to us. We want to yield to the scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4.2 says, You know what instruction we gave you? By the authority of the Lord Jesus. Paul says the words that he writes are given by the authority of 
of the Lord Jesus. I, I may have told you that story before about the ships that were assigned uh, to training exercises, and the captain noticed the light, and his ship was on a collision course with the other ship, and the captain called to the signalman. He said, signal that ship, we're on a collision course. Advise you to change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. Advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain was starting to get mad. He said, you send this. I'm the captain. Change your course 20 degrees. The, the, they sent back a message. I'm seaman second class. Uh, you better change your course 20 degrees. And by that time, the captain was furious. He spat out, send, I'm a battleship. Change your course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light. I'm a lighthouse. Change your course 20 degrees. And guess what? The captain changed his course. And I guess so. Why? Because the lighthouse was stable. The lighthouse was warning of danger. The lighthouse said, I have authority here. The lighthouse said, I'm the one that's going to be the one that's directing the course of your life. And listen, the Bible says about itself that it is like a light. It is like a lamp to our feet, a light to our course. And so we, when we move forward, we don't expect that the Bible is somehow going to bend to our wills or wishes or just because our culture has changed that somehow we're going to change the Bible. Instead, we say, what does the Bible say? It, it has been good enough for all of these generations guiding and leading and directing and we don't always get it right, but the Bible gives us that source of authority in our life so that we know that no matter what happens in our life, we have that stable light to direct us. The Word of God is not just some distant thing. It is our offensive weapon given to us so that we can claim authority and speak life into real situations in our workplaces, our relationships, our marriages, our finances, and the way that we live our lives. The Bible has authority in our life. And that's why we always, always use the Bible as our teaching guide. And number three, the Word of God is living and active. I love what Hebrews 4.12 says. For the Word of God is active and it is alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible is not just a book that you read and put back on the shelf. And God has a pretty good read. I'm just going to leave that alone. It's not some old, outdated, antiquated book that you read once. No, it's active. It's living for us today. I mean, I mean, how many of you have experienced that? You're reading the Word of God. Maybe you didn't even expect anything. You're just reading the Word of God, and something jumps off the page in a way that you didn't expect, and it penetrates your soul. And suddenly, you, you start to think differently about something. Maybe it's convicting you in some way or challenging you in some way. Maybe, and this is what I do often, I know that when I'm in a really good sermon by somebody, if you see me ever get on my phone, you're going to say, that dude's distracted. He's so distracted right now. And uh, we do this in community group. I might be listening uh, to Randy teach or somebody else, and, and I'll be on my phone. They'll be like, I bet that guy's just like looking at the sports scores. What is he doing? No, whatever they said led me to something else, and I start thinking about that. And I'm like, that's such an interesting concept. I now want to research that a little bit. So now I'm off somewhere else looking at it. I may not even be paying attention anymore. I'm paying attention to what the Word of God is saying in that moment, whatever that is. It's so interesting. Have you ever been there when suddenly the Word of God penetrates your heart? The Bible does that like no other book ever written. Rosario Butterfield was a professor in New York University. She didn't want anything to do with the Scripture, and yet until she encountered it. 
And I don't want to read a rather long quote from her, but I want you to listen to what she says. She says, I started reading the Bible in earnest with pen in hand and notebook in lap. I read the way a glutton devours. I started to read the Bible the way that I was trained to read a book, examining its textual authority, authorship, canonicity, and internal hermeneutics. I read the Bible like that the first year, arguing with its gender politics, its statements about slavery, but I kept reading it. Slowly over time, the Bible started to take on a life and meaning that startled me. Some of my well-worn paradigms no longer stuck. As I studied the Bible, I found answers to my initial accusations. I delved into its canonicity, its hermeneutics, and its opposing theological approaches. My PhD training ably prepared me to know what a book says, to assess the integrity of its textual history and canonicity, and to make a call about its authority. God used this singular, nerdy skill in the most important book study of my life. The Bible simultaneously encouraged me and enraged me. After years and years of this, something happened. The Bible got to be bigger inside me than, I over, than, than it overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all my might. I read the Bible many times through. I saw for myself that it had a holy author. I saw for myself that it was canonized collection of 66 books with a unified biblical revelation. And one day, my hands let go of the wheel of self-invention. I came to Jesus alone, open-handed and naked. I had no dignity upon which to stand. As an advocate for peace and social justice, I thought I was on the one side of kindness, integrity, and care. It was thus a crushing revelation to discover that it was Jesus I had been persecuting the whole time. Not just some historical figure named Jesus, but my Jesus, my prophet, my priest, my king, my savior, my redeemer, my friend, that Jesus. And what I love about her story is that she came to the Bible with all of her doubts and all of her assumptions and all of her arguments, and she wrestled with the scripture. But as she did so, she gradually discovered that the Bible is like no other book. The Bible began to take on a coherence in her life that was greater than her life. She fought, but the scripture overpowered her. With all of her education and brilliance and strength, she was no match for the power of the scripture in her life. And what I love even more than that about her story is that as she wrestled with Scripture, it brought her to the feet of the author of the Scripture. It brought her to the feet of God himself. And as she encountered Jesus, she found that this was not just a book, it was a person. It was the person of Jesus, not a historic, just a historical person, but a Jesus who is personal, prophet, priest, king, savior, redeemer, and friend. And so when you encounter the Word of God, if you allow it, if you dig into the Word of God, you will encounter Jesus in a, in a more real way than you ever have before. It will begin to direct your steps, be like a light to your path and a lamp to your feet. Psalm 19 gives really some promises to us, and it tells us about the Word of God and how it is alive and active in our lives. And I don't have it on the screen, but it says in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. Anybody ever come to church or been reading the Bible and you're down in the dumps and suddenly you leave and you find, it, you find yourself refreshed? You're renewed. You're like, where did that come from? The Bible says the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. When you study the Bible, it'll make you have more common sense in your day-to-day -day life. It gives you the sense of right and wrong, which the world is struggling with today. Helps give your kids a sense of right and wrong too. What God wants for their life. 
makes wise the simple. Psalm 19 says the precepts of the Lord are right. It gives joy to the heart. So many people are looking for happiness today. They're trying to find instant gratification. The Bible says God gives permanent joy. It's a lasting joy in your life. The precepts of the Lord are right. It gives joy to the heart. Then it says the commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. It's like spiritual cataracts are removed when you read the Bible and begin to see people and events in a whole different way. And there are real-life stories in the Bible. And as you encounter those real-life stories, you start to see yourself in their stories. You're like, man, I relate to Peter. He sticks his foot in the mouth all the time, too. That's what I do. Or you relate to Paul, who struggled with a thorn in the flesh. And you're like, this continues to come after me and attack me physically. And yet he realized that when he was strength, when he was weak, God was strong in his life. And you begin to encounter different characters in the Bible, their stories, and how God worked in them. And you start to see your story in them. And it begins to change your life. The Bible is living and it's active. Now with that, let me make two quick applications. The first one is, I want to encourage you to do what Rosaria Butterfield did. If you're here today and skeptical about the scripture, at least give it its due. Read it. Wrestle with it. Understand it. Don't be somebody who opposes the scripture without having ever wrestled with the scripture. Come to it. Begin to allow it to, to speak in its own terms. Begin to read it and understand it. It's unlike any other book you'll ever read in your life. And even if you come to it, and you've come to it a hundred times before, go back to it again. Get back in the habit of reading the scripture. Secondly, as a church, as a church, we always want to make a big deal about the Bible. God's word is the source of life and health for our church. We need to be in the word here on Sunday in our groups and individually. So I want to ask you to keep bringing your Bible or keep bringing your phone or your iPad and open it up and read it for yourself. And like me, your eyes may fall on even a different page where the Holy Spirit begins to lead you and guide you into some other passage. And God begins to convict you, challenge you in some way that you need to grow in your life. And in all of our areas, we want to continue to uphold the Word of God because that's what really matters. That's where our authority comes from. We have no other authority but the authority of God's Word in our life and how Jesus speaks to us through it. Ask the question, God, what are you telling me and what am I going to do about it? Take the Bible seriously. Now, as I conclude this series, I want to conclude with one final thought. And that is, I want to give you a little special bonus. And that is what I'll call our secret weapon. Okay? And it's found in verse 18 of our text, Ephesians 6. And it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This was a concluding thought for the Apostle Paul at the end of Ephesians 6, but he's wrapping it all together and he's saying, I know I've talked about all of this armor, but guys, I want to tell you that we have a secret weapon, and that is that we would pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You may not even know what to pray, but when you pray, praise the Lord. Give Him praise for who He is. And just thank God for what he's done in your life and praise him for his faithfulness, his kindness, his goodness, his love. You never want to come to a friend and just ask them them for stuff. You always want to come to a friend first and just appreciate that friend. And so when you come to God in prayer, you praise him. And then after that, repent. And say, God, I've got some things in my life that I need work on. And can you help me with that? I want to come before you humbly. I don't have it all together, God. So before I even approach your throne, I want to praise you. And then I want to repent of the things that I've done in my life, or even just this week or today. And then I want to ask you, God, can you be with me, work with me? Ask him whatever you want, the Bible says. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock and the door will be open to you. So ask. Ask, the Bible says. In Philippians, it says that when you have anxiety and those things, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends understanding will guard you in your heart and your life. Ask God for what you want in your life, what you need. Pray for other people. And then finally, yield to what God has in your life. Yield to his will. Say what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, not my will, your will be done. After all these prayers, they may be totally wrong. God, I don't even know. I may not have all these prayers together. But whatever it is, I want your will to be done in my life. Do it in a powerful way. And I may be facing something that's a challenge. But God, would you lead me and would you guide me? Guys, that is our secret weapon. We have a teammate. We have the Holy Spirit. And when we pray in the Spirit on all kinds of different occasions, that encourages us and it unifies us with God and His truth and His Word. And, and, and that is the armor of God. And so let's go be people of faith. Let's go be people of peace. Let's go be people who have the right mentality. We, we go with the right authority, the sword of the Spirit. And let's go so that when the enemy attacks, we are ready to defend ourselves and those we love. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word, the word of God. And God, I pray that we would be able to use the sword of the Spirit in our life to fend off the attacks of the enemy. And like Jesus, we will be able to ready on the spot say, it is written. And God, that we will embrace that authority. And if we've moved away from reading the scripture, God, I pray that we'd be challenged today to move back into a regular routine of reading the Bible and allowing it to transform us. Help us to teach it to our children so that then they are also ready to win the enemy attacks, to come against the enemy with the word of God. And God, we pray that you would also give us that ability just to talk to you. Thank you for that so that we can ask and request on all occasions in a variety of ways that we would pray through your spirit that you would be with us and that you would give us your spirit and help us as we face the attacks of the enemy. And we pray that for everybody here, God. We pray that for the Axis Church community. We pray that we will be able to stand up, stand firm with your armor. And we just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.